Hello, everyone. I'm your host, Daniel Litwin, the voice of B2B, and welcome to another episode of Higher Education, a Catapult Solutions Group podcast. Again, I'm your host, Daniel Litwin. I'm super excited for today's conversation. And before we dive in, I got to give you the basic plug, right? Make sure you're heading to our website, catapultsg.com, for more solutions on all of the industries that we serve. And of course, for more Catapult content, including episodes of the podcast and other white papers, videos, blogs, you name it. You can also subscribe to Higher Education on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. So hit that subscribe button and you won't miss any of our future conversations. So today's episode, is a special one for higher education. We're obviously in studio, uh, and we're not only getting two of our company's C-suite leaders on to discuss the company's vision and the company's ethos uh, and trajectory, but it's also the first time that we're getting CSG's CEO on an interview here. So the stakes are high, right? I know I'm sweating beads over here, so the conversation's gonna be an insightful one, it's gonna be a fun one, and I'm looking forward to jumping in. With today's podcast, though, just to give you a little bit more context, we're wanting to reflect on the company's history and sort of peer inward a little bit, do a little company meditation, I guess you could say, to share with y'all how we got to where we are today. And then we wanna learn from the journey of building a top staffing agency for roles across healthcare, life sciences, federal, engineering, industrial, finance, IT, technology services, on and on and on, right? We cover so many different verticals that the learning lessons for building one and then taking that knowledge and building the next are invaluable and our leadership is gonna help break that down for us today. So CSG Leadership is joining us to detail how delivering staffing solutions for this range of industries has built CSG into the hardy, the cross-functional, and the powerful partner that it is today. And we also wanna help understand what it means for us as a company to be on a continuous journey to a higher standard, pun intended, right? So let's go ahead and welcome our two C-suite guests. It's a real pleasure to be sitting in studio today with both Patrick Burke, Chief Executive Officer, and Alex Anderson, Chief Financial Officer of CSG. Patrick, great to have you on. How you doing, man? I'm doing great. That was an amazing intro. I gotta hand it to you. That was awesome. I tried to do my homework. I tried to come prepared and make y'all seem Well, I mean, I don't have to try too hard. Y'all already give off good vibes, but I had to make sure, you know, I did my part, right? Yes, it's great (laughs) great to be here now. It's my partner in crime here, Alex Anderson. It's, It's awesome to be sitting here with him. We've been talking about doing a podcast for quite some time. It's my first podcast, so I'm excited. Hell yeah. Alex, great to have you on as well. How are you? Man, it's great to be here, and uh, we need to hire you full time. Because you you pitched the company well, and also you left out my unofficial title, which is chief fitness officer. Chief fitness officer. So if anyone is is out <laughs> looking for a great company to work for, a great culture, and wants to get in shape, um, this is a good spot. That's true. I mean, you definitely are bulked up. Yeah. If you want to go big, yeah, you there. Medium size, it's me. So we have different different regimens for two different. People. And you've got me slim, <laughs> slim, <laughs> medium, large. Anyway, I, I need to honestly get on your regiment. But um, Patrick, Alex, it's a you know a fantastic pleasure to have y'all in studio. And again, like we broke down, we're wanting to have some fun with this, but we also do want to dive into the nitty gritty of how you built this company and what some of the intricate decision making processes have led to. Right, those critical moments of having to make a tough call. How did you make it, and how did it lead you to the successful point that the company's at today? Right, so. First, let's do a little bit of uh, career trajectory. So we'll start with you, Patrick. Um, how did you land at CSG as a leader of the company, right? Trace that career trajectory and some of the dominoes that landed you here. 
Yeah, um, I worked for a large staffing company for almost 15 years. Oh, okay. um, after that, I, I was took a four, three, four years off of staffing and uh, had a non-compete. And then we started it with uh, my brother Chris Burke, Ryan T. Roy, another founder was Matt Moore. And we started it in somebody's house um, back in 2013. Um, and from there, I actually met Alex, what, 2000 and? 20, I think we met in 2015. 2015. I think it's important to talk about a little bit about how we met, because we yeah. wouldn't be where we are today if it wasn't for uh, the big man. And obviously uh, vice versa. Um, do you want to tell the story? Yeah, uh, Alex can tell the story, but um, yeah, let him tell the story. But uh, it was it's a great story about how we met, and it's funny how life works, because yeah. if I didn't do an investment in a hospital, I would have never met him, and so, and we wouldn't be where we are today if it wasn't for uh, Alex. I think we got to get this story then. So it's yeah. like it's like asking the couple, so how'd you meet? I'm gonna tell you, yeah, and we often get uh, mistaken uh, for being a couple when we're in public, <laughs> but um, we just we just get along well. Um, so um, a brief uh, kind of um, outline of my history prior to Catapult. So uh, I started in private equity kind of by chance. I ended up uh, with an internship as a summer associate at a private equity firm here in Dallas. Um, a lot going on at the firm. It was a smaller shop. There's a lot of them here in Dallas. And uh, one of the portfolio companies was a real estate development company. And um, you know, I had a great mentor there, uh, brought me over to a full-time role within that portfolio company. Um, and there were several real estate investments. And there were big pools of investors for each one of these individual facilities and entities. Okay. Patrick was an investor on several of those. So at the time, we were a very small shop. And the, the last maybe six months, I was like the only person interacting with investors on a regular basis, you know, not necessarily investor updates, but just the day-to-day -day activity. Patrick came to the office one day to pick up a check, right? The issue um, in this instance was that the person who could sign the check was not at the office. So and, and, and in that story, just to so say, you no, know, I drove all the way from McKinney down to Dallas and said, is my check there? And they said yes. And I walked into the office building somewhere down here, and it looked like there were boxes all over the place. Yeah. So and I thought I was going to meet some older gentleman, and here was this young buck, Alex Anderson, who they told me to come find. Yeah. So there you go. Yeah. And um, and that's what happened. And I could tell that this guy, you know, this guy, ton of energy. And if you don't know how far McKinney is from uptown Dallas or the Crescent Building uh, specifically. Uh, it's really far, and if in rush hour traffic, it can take a long time, especially Trying if you hadn't planned on it, and you, but when you did, you plan on picking up a very large check. Right. Trying to get past Park Lane and not be stuck there for yes. 20 minutes Correct. on its own, garbage, yeah. yeah. So anyways, uh, that he came, was quite disgruntled that the check wasn't available. So um, I told him, said, Mr. Burke, you know, it's, you know I, I'm gonna go out of my way, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna get this check signed for you, and I'm gonna drive it to wherever you live. Okay. Which at the time, I think, was McKinney. It was McKinney, and he said, I'll get it to you no later than 5 o'clock. So I'll just t take yeah, over from yeah, here a little take, bit. Take the afternoon. So I'm trying to run a company, start a company with my partners. And I call him around 5.30. I'll never forget it. 5.30. And I said, hey, um, Alex, this is Patrick Burke. Um, you were going to call me? He goes, hey, dude, I'm so sorry, man. My wife got, got in an accident. By the way, that's Hannah, who runs our Dallas office, who does a phenomenal job for us. Amazing. And was working at a competitor at the time. And, I, and he goes, hey, man, it's a car. I said, OK, yeah, 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 OK. So he comes up, and we go to um, that bar in Allen. I forget the name of it. Um, oh, we do this every time. Yeah, yeah. There's bar Louie. Bar Louie. And so he comes into Bar Louie with the check, okay. and we sit down. There's no one there. I said, well, at least I can do is buy this guy a beer, 
because he had my check, and we sit down and we're talking and getting to know each other, I didn't even know him. And I said, what are you gonna do after you leave this place? And he said, I'll probably work for one of the big four, do something like that, and I'm like, and I really liked him. I was like, this guy's cool. And I said, I got a good head on his shoulders. And uh, I said, you ever think about maybe helping me run a staffing company? And he said, let's talk. And then I said, what does your wife do? I said, well, I'd love to talk to your wife as well. <laughs> yeah. So that's kind of how we met. Keep it um, in the family. Keep huh? it in the family. Yeah. And that's a whole, that's a whole another story. Maybe at the end of the podcast, we can, we can go that route, but because she was done with staffing. And at the time, mind you, I was working in a, in an, um, a private equity firm who was looking, who was <clears throat> essentially responsible for investing wealthy individuals or funds money sure. into businesses that with for you know an intended return and so staffing as an industry for me was not one that was necessarily attractive and uh, nor did I know much about it the experience that I did have of staffing was my wife working at Robert Half and that wasn't a very good one right beyond the financial kind of dynamics as a potential investor in the industry so sure. um, I met him and I was at the time in my career I was like I want to learn how to be an operator Managing a business as an investment vehicle versus managing a business to grow and scale is very different. Right. So there are things that you never learn if you stay in the investment management space, the M&A space. And I met this guy, I was like, this is the kind, I had met many CFOs or, and CEOs, and founders of businesses, and I met Patrick, I was like, this is the type of person um, who is not going to try to, to be a king, right? This guy can grow a business, he's got the right energy, and he wants to bring people into the organization that he knows will add value, Earn, you know, learn to trust them, develop them, and then let them do their job. And the ego doesn't get in the way. Ego right? doesn't get in the way. And for me, that was exactly what I was looking for. I was like, regardless of the industry, I mean, he could, you guys could have been selling widgets at the time. I just knew it was a good place. I met the leadership team um, in October, I guess later that year or the next year, and I was like, this group of people is building something incredible. And I know, as the finance guy at the time, they didn't really have that. It's a blank canvas for me. I can go in and I can immediately make an impact. And so that was the story of <coughs> Yeah, like and I think, um, you know, I think um, ego and swagger, if you have ego and swagger, you have to have it if you're gonna start something, yep. but you gotta have it in the right places at the right time to actually have a little swagger and attract people into the company. And you know, he's 30 years old, I'm 52, and we met six years ago, and um, he is, one of my best friends, yeah. and uh, we've confronted each other, uh, we've cried together, we've laughed together, and uh, that's what makes a good partnership, like a married couple. So there you go. That's exactly right. So there, there, exactly there right. it is. So it, it's, it's a cool story, and you know, just fate is funny, because that was the day I decided to call and say, hey, is my check ready? Right. And it may not be us together today. Yeah. So, interesting. Well, I mean, y'all tee me up nicely to talk leadership styles. Um, you know, I, honestly, I wanted to ask y'all to reflect and look internally and share what is y'all's perception of your leadership style? We're gonna ask that, but then I also want each of y'all to share how you perceive the other's leadership style, right? So we'll start with you first, Patrick. If you had to describe sort of your approach to leading CSG, both just sort of as you know a leadership philosophy separate from staffing, but then if you had to fine tune it too to being in the world that you're in, right? What does your leadership style mean to you? How do you approach it? <clears throat> to what effect? Are you from Texas, by the way? I, so I was born in Walnut Creek, but I've lived in Texas since I was like three. Because y'all, so. you say y'all, and I love, it's because my daughters were, <laughs> my daughters yes, were born, <laughs> my daughters Olivia and Isabel were born in DC in yep. Georgetown, and they were here when they were two and six months old, and they say y'all, they're Texans, pretty much. The y'all's baked in. Yeah. It's just yeah. easy, it flows off the tongue a little better than the use guys, and yeah, you know. Yeah, I agree. So leadership style, yes. you know, I, I, that's a great question. Um, and I don't even know how to answer that question, but I would say my leadership style, I'm pretty intense. 
Um, I love to inspire and motivate people. Uh, I'd love to believe in people and have people believe in themselves. I think once you believe in yourself, you can do a lot of powerful things. Uh, and I'd say give people autonomy and have them feel like they're an entrepreneur themselves in their own business would be what um, my style would be. Um, I, I like to not micromanage, but there's times to micromanage and there's times not to. Yeah. Um, so I would say that's, uh, and, and I would tell you that maybe not a leadership style, but hiring the right people is very, very important. So. I mean, knowing how to hire and leading a staffing agency, yeah. those things sound like they go hand in hand, indeed. Yeah. Alex, how would you then describe Patrick's leadership style? Um, I think he nailed it. Uh, I think, um, and I already spoke to it when I was giving my introduction. Yes. So, um, and again, I, I think not just Patrick, but great leaders in general have the unique ability to develop people. So when you look at businesses who have uh, become wildly successful, typically the person who started that business is really good at finding talent, putting them in the right seat, on the right bus, at the right time, within the company's life cycle. So your leadership style is very much set the expectation clear. Um, I wouldn't call you an emotional leader, uh, but I would say he leans more on the side of emotion um, and gut, and I feel like that is, again, that's, a, that's the, another thing that's synonymous with great leaders, creators of things. Um, throughout history, not just businesses. Um, but it sets clear expectations, um, moves very quickly, uh, but you have to, to grow as quickly as we've been growing. We've made the top, the fastest growing companies for the last several years in a row. And that's because it starts from the top. Um, even if not every detail is ironed out, the objective is still known, right? The objective is to get to 75 million in revenue. If Along that path, we have to kind of play catch up on figuring out what systems need to be in place to get there. That's okay, but that you're leading to the objective, not getting caught up in the minutia along the way. Um, and and that's, what, that's why we have a leadership team. Right? That's why we all kind of collaboratively understand the vision, execute on the vision. Um, yeah. so. Individual and situational leadership. Yeah. So you can't manage and lead everybody the same. Everybody comes from different walks of life. And so different environments, which you have to know what makes people tick, uh, and it's important. And I believe that uh, one of the hardest things for any leader to do is confront and hit people between the eyes. Yeah. Um, it's something that not many people do, and I think it's extremely important because you, you give a shit right. about them. You care about their families and who they are, and the only way to grow is to hear feedback, of course, positive and, and, and things that they can improve on. Yeah, I mean, I know as someone who has been in, you know, not as important positions of leadership as y'all, but then also on the receiving end of leadership, all those things matter a lot. When there is that level of personability and honesty in interaction, you know that you are being treated like a trusted professional by your leader. Um, and you are uh, you know, being asked to deliver on something with that level of trust too, right? You're not just executing on a task, but you're given a responsibility and the expectations are set, like you said. Um, and that helps make it, you know, everyone's role a little easier. Um, and I think it's important, I learn from my daughters. I learn from a six-year-old. You learn from everybody. You know, you take little nuggets along the way in your life and you just learn from other people. So nobody's perfect. I've made a lot of, a lot of bad decisions along the way in the last uh, nine years. You make a great point. That's another thing I would, I, I would identify as a, a core component of your leadership style. I was like, and I learned a little bit from this too, because I don't think I was as good at it. I think there's a byproduct of me being young um, in my role, but learning constantly from people, uh, regardless of their status, what industry they work in, where you meet them, right? Everyone you interact with has the 
can teach you something. Yeah. Um, so uh, you're good at doing that and allowing those people to um, to, to make an, leave an impression on you. So yeah. And I went to um, in April. I went to Europe for about a month. Went to five different countries solo by myself. Um, didn't have hotel rooms in certain countries. Took the train, and just being there by myself and watching people. Yeah interact in other countries, I learned a heck, of, heck of a lot about myself yep. uh, and just watching other people. So every day you're learning. I think that's one of the most important qualities in a leader. Let's flip it now. Alex, I want to hear your own take <coughs> on your leadership style, right? So since you've been a CFO, what have you developed as your approach to leadership? Um, that's a great question in that, in that the way you phrase it. Um, since I've been a CFO, uh, I think up until that point, uh, something that was really beneficial for me was going through, uh, at least until the age of 22, collegiate athletics, being a part of that. Sure. And so for, for me, and, and not, and this wasn't like, you know, I didn't play for Alabama as a, you know, um, a five-star linebacker recruit. I played at Division II school, Tarleton State University. And so very different dynamics at that level, right? Your scholarship doesn't last a year or four years. If you don't perform every semester, you go home or you lose your scholarship. So it's very different, the stakes are very high. And for a young person, you learn very quickly how to deal with adversity and how to um, set clear expectations for yourself and, and hold yourself accountable. Because if you don't, you're gonna change your life. And so uh, my leadership style, what I, the kind of leader I wanted to be was very much set clear expectations, um, try to identify great talent, but understand that not everybody is going to be you know, the MVP caliber um, you know, athlete or professional. Um, <clears throat> but also get to know people's strengths and weaknesses and, and show people on my team or in the rest of the organization that not only am I trying to take the time to understand who you are um, personally and professionally, but also the competitive landscape uh, and then also your competition directly. And at our company that might be you know, a, a set of financials that needs to be closed by the 15th of the month or earlier, an implementation of NetSuite. It might be, um, the client might be, you know, one, any one of our various clients. The competitive landscape might be, you know, um, staffing platforms that exist, other reputable staffing companies. Right. Um, and then as, <clears throat> when I became a CFO, what I learned through really have kind of learning on the fly, uh, especially working with the international accounting team, which is totally, new for me, working with someone before the age of remote work was really kind of, had taken over the, the country and the workplace. I mean, I have a team that's sitting thousands of miles away from me right. that has historically been providing a service, has not been a part of Catapult at the time. So just applying the same things, but, but now more than ever, and I think this is because of my background, and Patrick might be able to test to this, I'm a finance guy. I love economics. <coughs> um, I want to empower people with knowledge. So if, if someone, and I relish in our company even today, if someone comes to my office and wants to talk about their, how, how they can make $10,000 a month in commission, if they don't already know how to do that, where to find the file, I want to show them. Yeah. Uh, but I want people to understand the economics of the business and so that you don't have to call people into an office and say, you're not performing well. The expectations are clear. And if we didn't set those expectations and you don't have access to seeing that, we're failing as leaders. And so for me, you know, orienting my leadership to objectivity, um, leading based on data, um, that's something that I've gotten better at since I've been in the role of CFO. Yeah, and when he tells people, 
about how to make that money, we both realized that there's a lot of people in our company making a lot more money than both of us. That's true. So Which is at exactly Catapult, what we want. <coughs> yeah, right. exactly and yeah. make anywhere from sixty, seventy thousand to six, seven hundred thousand dollars a year. Uh, yep. in staffing, so you guys put your resumes in and uh, let's see what we can do. Yeah, so it's like, sounds nice to me. <laughs> yeah, we let's cut that and let's just let's yeah. just circulate this on the internet. That's yeah, pretty cool. It is pretty cool. Yeah, right. <laughs> the podcast will be just that 30 seconds. Yeah. 26, 27, 28, 29 years old, making really, really good money and it, make, it makes you feel good about building something like that that we've done along with my brother and, and Ryan and, and the executive team that we have, Mitch Blackwell as well, who started, help us start the company in the beginning. So. I mean, I, I really get, like when I hear y'all describe your approach to leadership, I hear you know, um, <coughs> wanting to empower the folks that you work with, build a culture of self-sufficiency, right? And I think that is an important aspect of a collaborative workplace when every individual uh, you know, piece of the puzzle is fine-tuned to where they can master their slice of, uh, you know, I don't know, divided labor pool, you could say, right? Um, if each person is self-sufficient enough to achieve their thing well, right. expectations are set well, then the collaboration happens naturally because each person fills an essential gap. And so uh, that gets me into my next question, which is understanding how you even got to the point where you could scale that across an entire organization. And then also uh, push that culture into the folks that you bring on as your product, right? As the services that you then staff for, uh, and you know, build that culture not only internally but externally. So, without without said, yeah. I didn't hear much what you said. To be very honest, because I have to say this. So Alex Anderson. Yeah. So we were driving down here. So just kind of sums up Alex. Okay. So we were laughing. His wife is Hannah. Okay, she works in the company. She's a senior person that runs our Dallas office. Yep. And I said, I've known him and I've gotten to know him so well. As I said, he's one of my dear friends. And to see them both bring Lincoln into the world, it's been, it's been awesome. Bought a new house in Salina, it's, mm. it's great. And I said, it's funny that if Hannah was at a party and they're like, hey, what does your husband do? They're like, oh, he's in finance. And everybody has a stigma about somebody in finance. Sure. He's very unique because you meet him and he's incredibly smart. He does set clear expectations, but he could sell for the company too. So he's got a lot of attributes that just go across all different areas of the organization. And he builds trust with his people overseas as well as people inside of the company. So it's just, it's been cool to watch. Appreciate that, man. Yeah. I appreciate that. But that's one of the things that, that, that is a theme in Catapult. And I think it's, these guys started this in a garage or shed, whatever it was. And the story. In 20, yeah. Back in 2013, 14, one of those. All good companies start out of a shed, yeah, right? Yeah. I didn't know what the hell we were Come doing. Come on. That, was, <laughs> that, that is something that's, that's I mean, that, that theme reverberates across the company. Like, I, I, want, um, I want Natalia and Tanya, who are sitting in Ukraine, one of them now in Poland, uh, due to recent events, but I want them to be able to get on a phone with a client and sell our service. I want them to be able to get on a phone potentially with an investor and sell the company. Everyone in this organization should know how to sell the services we provide. Um, and that's, that will never change. And so 
you make a good point there, but that's that's critical. And I think any organization. And we love drinking tequila together. Mm. Tequila, lime juice. It's it's just fun, you know. It's better we love than our, celebrating. Some celebrating. We love our Casamigos, and uh, it's what we do. You know, not to steal a, uh, a corporate tagline, but bring the beach to you. You know, as uh, right. as a certain brand <clears throat> of an alcohol certain uh, says, not sponsored by. Um, okay, so let's get into the early days of Catapult. You mentioned the garage, uh, metaphorical or literal, um, but let's break down how you strategically built the company in the early days. Uh, and um, I mean, since you've been a leader at the company, feel free to also share your journey of building the last, um, you know, six-ish six years, years, right? Yep, cool. So again, how have you strategically built the company out, chosen the verticals that you want to serve, and uh, you know, refined your approach to staffing to internalize some of what you just broke down for me, y'all's approaches to leadership and the sort of culture that you're wanting to instill in your employees and then the folks that are being staffed. Uh, you know what, I'll take the, the beginning and then he can take the second part. You know, starting a company is very, very difficult. Yeah. Um, I remember sitting there with Ryan and Chris. Ryan and Chris went down to San Antonio because of uh, non-compete geography. But when you, I remember sitting in a, a little room and, and I had a journal and what I had was all of my family and friends and names that I knew. Went through my Rolodex and my phone, that's all I had. And I started calling and it was very interesting to see people that I thought would give me an opportunity did not and people that I didn't think did. And you'd smile and dialing <clears throat> and working your ass off to get meetings back in the day when meetings were more prevalent uh, pre-COVID. Uh, and really anything at all that we could get to pay the bills and keep the lights on. And we ended up winning a project, like a 75 person project, which really, really helped. But in the beginning, it was just do whatever you can to get business, to get revenue, to make money. And then we started getting a little more strategic, you know, probably a year, two years in, and then got real strategic third year in when he came on board and really set it down to four different things about retention. I mean. Um, you know, higher rates and, right. and all duration, all that kind of stuff, so. And, and you know, here, before we transition to your part, yeah. it, uh, the, you know, those early days when you're having to build from scratch, it yeah. seems like you'll take any opportunity you can get, right, <clears throat> to really build that foundation. So in that period of sort of controlled chaos, how do you then also, or how did you sort of implement a, a through line where you saw an end goal and all of that controlled chaos was still building towards a company culture with you know, that kind of empowerment that you wanted to bring on board, that kind of self-sustaining nature that you wanted to instill in your employees, right? Mesh those two worlds. So, one more time. Yeah, so basically, in the beginning, chaos. You, yeah. chaos. you have to take any opportunity you can to build the company out. That means that it might be harder to have that single vision, that through line, as you're working towards well, this wasn't in my plan, but I'm gonna take it on anyways, it's gonna help grow the business. When you're in that world, how did you approach maintaining that through line, that vision for the end goal of what you wanted the company to be, right? So that even as you were maneuvering um, things that maybe were a little out of the ordinary or unexpected, they were still in service of a bigger picture. You know, I, I guess the best way to answer that question would be when you're working with a client, they're giving us business that we really didn't want. But I saw the end result of, I know they have the good business that we want. Call it IT, longer durations, better bill rates, easier to maintain. When you start seeing that your average contract was two months, three months, it's a crazy cycle of putting people back to work, back to work. But I knew if we gave customers a good quality service, 
and ask them, hey, if we do a good job here, are you gonna give us the IT and engineering business, the business that we wanna get? And some was a lot yes, and some was, hey, you gotta work longer, and maybe it wasn't a good client, <clears throat> but seeing the vision that we're gonna get there, and there, I don't know what year it was, Daniel, that we really changed and went with those four key things that transformed our business and got everybody on board to focus on higher bill rates, longer duration, which makes it easier for back office right. accounting and finance, um, less energy and maintaining contractors. You don't want somebody on, on, on contract for two months or they're quitting after two weeks. Not fun right. at all. <laughs> not, no. not at all. <clears throat> all right, Alex, now on your end then. Um, recount then the last six years of your leadership journey through Catapult and um, you know, what you have seen as, you know, what were the early days for you at CSG and where things have grown, right? How the company has strategically built up more verticals and its approach to staffing over those years. Um, they're so, uh, Dana, we could spend, we could spend the next two hours talking specifically about how we positioned ourselves, why we did it, and then where we think that puts us in the competitive landscape. Like, now I'm moving forward. So <laughs> it, it, this is where you'll have to control me a little bit because sure. we, we could, I could drone on here. Um, so I joined in October 2016. These guys had built a $19 million business through the effort that Patrick just described by, hey, just hitting the streets. Like yeah. the pure work ethic and initiative and grind and hustle, right? So um, what it takes to build a business. Yeah, and if um, we didn't do that, the company wouldn't be here. The company yeah. wouldn't be here, yeah. right? There, you can make the argument all day, start in a niche and focus, and then you'll, you know, you'll de deeper penetration. It's not how it happened here. And so the business was established. Um, as a finance guy, and I said earlier, this was like a blank canvas. So when I got here, Patrick, allude, he, he let me in on this before I joined. So there was tremendous opportunity to Im in improve business analytics. Right. So when I joined the company, for the most part, we were making decisions based on historical financial or financials, right? Which we're looking at a month in arrears uh, and weekly GP reports. And for that, for us, that basically means weekly gross profit. How are, how was every division of the company operating, or how efficient are they, and every person? Um, what we weren't spending a ton of time on because we didn't really have this level of visibility. So we had to build this um, solution. Sure. Is divisional data, right? Average contract length per contractor separated by labor category. Uh, and then also uh, geography, right? At the time, Catapult, and when I joined, we had offices all over the country. The, the, the land and expand growth strategy was very much uh, at play. And, and that had worked historically. And so in 2016, we start to peel back the onion. We, it, we build in reporting capabilities that give us the data that we need. We can see or have a better picture of what efficiency we're, we're, we have within certain areas of the business and what maybe a lack of efficiency we did not have, we weren't aware of prior to sure. um, this capability. So we started to look like, one, where's the, where's the boat going, right? Where is the IT industry growing um, most substantially? IT. That was, the, that was the focus for us at the time. So we say, okay, well, within our business, IT is by far um, the best labor category to, to operate in. At the time, we didn't have people in the organization, aside from a few, Mitch Blackwell being, being the primary one at the time, we didn't have people who could move us in that direction. So initially it was, hey, this is the objective, IT, longer term contracts, right? For us and for potential investors for the bank, right? That lets us make decisions and start to shift kind of the way we think from growth and, and 
from growth and it kind of being haphazard and like, hey, this happened, react, right? right? Very reactionary at the time. Well, even within just the scope of a few months now, right? Because exactly. you could scope out now longer-term contracts. Mm -hmm. You had revenue flowing in for at least, well, I mean, what does longer-term actually mean so in practice? For, us, it's six, for a longer-term contract for us is six to nine months. Nice. So over yeah. in the last four to five years, we've shifted our mix of business ent almost entirely to technical. So. IT is a percentage of revenue to give you some perspective uh, or some context. In 2016, it was about 20 to 25% of total revenue. Uh, today, it's 50%. Life sciences represents a material percentage. Um, healthcare represents a material percentage. So you look at technical roles or knowledge, knowledge jobs, yeah. right? Um, that for us is about 75% of our revenue. Contract length over that period of time went from two and a half months roughly to seven plus. The average spread or gross profit generated per producer, a salesperson or recruiter over that period of time, more than doubled, right? So people on average are making a lot more money. So we, we built in scalability in 2016 and 17. We made the decision he was referring to really in 2017. We peeled back the onion, we said, what direction do we need to go in? And in 2017, we had a leadership meeting, we're like, this is what we're doing. This is the direction we need to go in. These are the kind of people we need to hire. We made some strategic hires. Um, we brought in Chris Lester. And then bringing in Angelo Salustri, who's Angelo. Our, our president and COO today, nice. who is all IT in his background. And, Very cool. Yeah, and that was, 20, that was, I believe, end of 2017. So yeah. we started to go and find people who could help us transform the business. And, and that's what happened. And so, you know, right now, you know, right now it's, and I know you'll probably ask questions about this, I don't want to jump ahead, but right now it's very much how can we be disruptive? Yeah. Right? There are things disrupting our industry. How can we play in that space and then as a result of that create differentiator? So I don't want to jump ahead, but that's, that's where we're at now. And you know the growth, 19 million, then we yeah. went to 27 million. Yep. Along the way, my business partner, Matt, you know, we have a relationship with a bank and you know, he's calling me and said, hey man, we need $150,000 to cover payroll, and I'm like, what? So I'd call my wife, Angie, and go, hey, can you put $150,000? Matt did plenty of it along the way, and he was out of uh, the country, so we were dealing with that stresses of growing a business, so you want to grow at the same time. Yeah, right. You know, you got to pay your contractors and pay people, so there was a lot of hairy times that we had along the way. This is a good tangent, Patrick. Yeah. This is a good tangent, I think it's important, so your, our finance audience, um, our accounting and finance folks will really appreciate this, so at the time, um, when I joined, and Patrick was aware of this too, like our balance sheet was upside down. Like, yeah. Um, staffing is a very cash, uh, capital intensive business, right? You can't slow pay your cost of sales or cost of goods, right? I can't tell the steel manufacturer, hey, we're going to be 30 days late. Right. Because the steel manufacturer, as it applies to Catapult, is Joe, who hmm. is our employee, right? right? And if we don't pay him on time, that's a huge problem. So um, cash flow was really tough. 2016 to really 2018, 19. Um, we were calling anyone that we knew to set up private lines of credit. Our great partner at Legacy Texas Bank, now Prosperity. Um, That's my bank. Oh, really? It's a great oh, bank. Cool. Uh, and the people we were working with, um, I want to say their name because I don't want to give them unwarranted uh, yeah. uh, attention or unsolicited attention. Um, <laughs> but they, we basically were using a line of credit as like a permanent working capital line. Right? That's not how it's supposed to work. And they let us do it. Wow. Um, and we finally came out of that. Our like the big goal, the big pie in the sky goal in 16, 17, 18 was cash flow profitable and let's get a posit positive balance sheet ratios. 
let's let's not let's not have a negative net worth, right? And we passed that, and and when we passed that threshold, we just blew past it. Yeah, and it, we were flying yeah, at the time. Yeah, when you're growing like that, um, we, we didn't take any outside money, meaning we didn't give any equity up. And people always ask the question, man, how did you guys grow to 50, 60 million dollars without getting any outside and giving equity away? We never did. Right. So we, we uh, great relationship with the bank and individual, Matt, myself, another gentleman named Thad that was part, part owners as well, uh, really helped us get, get through all that. Those, type, those times. Those were hectic days though. Yeah, um, yeah I, I had more gray hair then than I do now, yeah, right. uh, which is weird. And just yeah, as, as for so the sake deep. of a podcast, you know, you wanna grow, because yeah. you always grow, but you never think, you know, when you start your business, when you're growing so much, you're paying your internal employees, you're paying all these contractors, we're not getting paid from our customers until 45, 60, 90 days later. So we're on the phone saying, you guys owe us 200,000. And it, you know, I drove up to Oklahoma with we you drove up to Oklahoma. for a $5,000 check from this lady and it got hostile in there. <laughs> oh yeah. In yeah, and I'm like, you owe us 5,000. She's like, well, and I'm like, you owe us $5,000 and we're not gonna leave until we get the $5,000. I mean, that's the shit that we did. Yeah, and people don't know those. Standing in the lobby. Yeah, like, driving up to Oklahoma, <laughs> Oklahoma yeah. City. Yeah, one of the first thing, one of the first meetings that I went on at Catapult was going over <clears> to a very large client's office in Irving um, and sitting in a lobby, I mean, they owed us over one hundred and fifty thousand dollars. And for a company that's uh, that's nineteen million in revenue, yeah. um, that's that's on the like that's toying with profitability, you know, on an accrual basis, like one hundred fifty k is a ton of money, critical. right? Yeah. That's it's yeah. life changing. Yeah. Um, and uh, now the first meetings, I, I sat in a lobby until I had someone come out and meet with me to discuss it, and there was some action item or some set date on when I could expect a check. And I said, I need this before I leave. It's kind of fun and to talk about it. Multiple times. It's fun to talk about the past and just to really kind of feel the way we felt back then. And, and it's very, it feels accomplished to, to get where we are today. Right. And a lot of people that are listening to this podcast may not know a lot of those things and the stresses right. that we went through, only a small group did. And it was an interesting time. I learned a lot. Yeah, for yeah. sure. The like metaphorical arm wrestling that you had to do, yeah. like yeah, down sure. to the wire. Yeah. You know, I, I wanna bring it back just a little bit and talk about what is perceived to me as, it sounds like around 2016 through about 2018, y'all made the focused decision to digitally transform the business. Not only digital transformation of obviously the services that you were providing and that you were going to focus more on IT, but then also you mentioned a refining of your internal digital transformation, right? Understanding layers of analytics, getting into the nitty gritty of um, all of the various uh, verticals and the data that you were getting to refine your business strategy for scale. Uh, what would you say were the biggest obstacles in digitally transforming internally and externally and completely taking on IT as the core staffing uh, vision for the company, right? What were the biggest obstacles and why? And feel free to give me some, you know, OMG I mean, I'll, I'll just <laughs> tell you, uh, number one, getting the business. Yeah. I mean, we nobody knew really who Catapult was. I mean, we're relatively a small staffing company. Um, there, We just heard this podcast, but there's, um, there's 20,000 staffing firms there's only 150 staffing firms over 100 million. And we're gonna push in the 70, 80 million dollar we'll this year. year. We'll be there next year. There. So it's interesting, it's less than a half percent. For real. You know, yeah, so training and development on people and just quite frankly, getting people to wrap their heads around 
it's tougher to go after that business and you have to educate yourself on having those conversations and hiring the right people to do it. Right. So that, you know, just that transformation wasn't easy. Uh, and then getting everybody, you know, in that, in the group to uh, understand where we're going was, was not easy, but yeah. Yeah, and, and he spoke to the most difficult part of that transformation. It's, it's very easy, relatively speaking, to go and buy tools off the shelf, develop your own, uh, that give you better business analytics, yeah. uh, to allow you to look, you know, peer through the veil, look behind the veil rather, and really see how your company's doing. Um, and there's consulting firms you can go pay to do that as well. We didn't do that, but th that's available too. The most difficult part of that transformation was finding the people that could do it. Like, we had to completely rebuild our staff for the most part. And obviously that didn't happen over time, like immediately. Um, and, and nor was anyone forced out, right? This is a performance company, and people who perform stay. Um, ideally, we, we, people are mo we care about our people yeah. more than anything else. And we're a services business, and in the business of, of you know, people. And the staffing firm's primary value proposition to candidates is not like just finding them a job. Like a, a recruiter, the rec role of recruiters changed fundamentally over the last 20 years. Right? Staffing was like in its, was growing up in the 2000s. And, and things were still very manual. Patrick tells me about when they had file cabinets of resumes. Right? Can you imagine? Like, yeah. I can't imagine that. No. And so uh, rec role of recruiters is very administrative, administrative heavy. Right. Uh, but now, the best recruiters are consultative. And Josh, if you haven't listened to Josh, uh, Josh and Mike's podcast, um, I think it was the last one, they, they go into how we're trying to be different. And f recruiters are, con are consult consultants to candidates. So right. even if they're not the perfect fit maybe for, for a great job um, for one of our clients or to support a project of one of our clients, um, it's the responsibility of the recruiter to, and the salesperson to align those two things and then give that person a job. And, and that's just one piece of the recruiter. So that's the value add. So now our recruiters are spending more time doing that. So in 2017, 2018, we didn't have very many people yeah. that could go and do this. And thank goodness we had Mitch Blackwell who could come in and train our delivery engine, how to deliver on this business for clients that we're trying to also convince we have this capability. Right, and be able to communicate with trust and confidence on a whole new vertical that was not part of y'all's background. And that, I mean, that's something that I'm curious about. Then how did you take your, you know, approach to leadership that we broke down earlier in the podcast and apply it to, well, time to radically transform the business, time for us to adopt this ability to maneuver, uh, you know, IT staffing, and then disseminate that down an organization we and hire for those roles. Bullied right? people like crazy. <laughs> yeah. Bullied people, got them in line like that, yeah. and said, if yeah. you're not going to change, get the hell get out of here. Yeah, <laughs> no. Like pits going out every day. No, it's. Yeah. I come from an old school. So when he talks about resumes and file cabinets, yeah. I remember in 1994. So was that 2024 would be 30 years for me in the industry. Okay. And I had a company car and a bag phone, like the phone that you would carry out that maybe some of you don't know. But I thought I was the coolest guy ever. With like this big receiver. A 20, in town. A, yeah, oh, yeah, a 23, 24 year old guy with a bag phone, you know, doing, doing business deals. Yeah. But we would have a meeting. We didn't even have, when I started, we didn't have the internet at all. No, nothing. We didn't have email. So it literally was crazy. We would have files of resumes, and after the meeting, it was you have A through C, and you would sprint to the file cabinets, the first to get there to pull resumes out and just start calling the numbers on top for a software developer, software engineer. 
it was crazy. And then just finding the client where you're going, we didn't have Google Maps. Right. We didn't have Waze. We had maps in our car. Not even MapQuest. No, nothing. We had nothing <laughs> like that. So I just it's just kind of funny to see where we are today yeah. and all the tools that are out there. And I actually think sometimes the tools get away and get get in the way of just pure work ethic. Yeah. Actually. Well, that's so that's a good point. It's it's important um, to mention this. You ask about how um, how we made the transition. What were the challenges? And another big one uh, was having the right systems for our employees, especially in production roles, to operate in. Yes. Uh, it's hard to tell a salesperson or recruiter, hey, go in the system, enter this information multiple times in multiple different places. You can't, you can't do that. Also, you're suppressing someone's ability to make money. Right? If we're asking people to, to use systems in an inefficient environment, or tech stack, if you will, yes. we're basically like slowing down their, right. their career progression. Make way. your life harder for right. yourself. Right, and so we had to, we had to, to change our ATS, our applicant tracking system. Okay. Right? We did not have good data. So you know, at 20 million, we're going back and you know, essentially, and this is I think a learning lesson for anyone listening to this who's trying to build a business. If you're gonna do one thing, spend some time and invest in setting up the primary platform your business is gonna operate on early, because we learned the hard way if you don't, you're gonna spend a lot more money than you should, and you're not gonna get the efficiency of a potentially really powerful tool that would transform your business positively. And how many platforms have we had? Data. Well, ATSs we've had, I mean, you guys had two five. in the first three years yeah. before I got here. And four, four or five. We're now going to our fourth. Yeah, which we think the is, is the one that's gonna, gonna change a lot. Yeah. We really like it, yeah. But that's really important. Um, but balancing that, and we'll talk about it later when we talk about, I think, disruption um, and, and how we're trying to be competitive long-term, yeah. is the old school way of doing things and remembering what staffing companies are ultimately responsible for doing for their client and automation and systems. Yeah. Marrying those two things is critical. And if you do too much of one, then no one's going to be selling to clients, and no one's going to be yeah, talking tell to candidates. Me, he'd, I'd always go old school, and he'd be like, hey, man, I'm kind of tired, Patrick, of hearing the old school way. And then I'm like, you're always talking about technology and platforms, and I get all that shit too, Alex, but you forgot about what get, gets you here too. The ethic, and so yeah. the work ethic, but we, that's why we work well with each other, because yeah. I go home at night, and I'm like, you know what? He makes a great point, and I'm sure he goes home yeah. and says, he makes a terrible point. That's bullshit. <laughs> I'm no, just kidding. No, but you're right. No, just that, just that, it's a mindset. Yeah. Sense of urgency. Be maniacal. Have a sense of urgency. And we call it, I don't want slow walkers. And everybody hear me? I don't want slow walkers. We want fast walkers. Mm. People that have a fast pace and want to work in a fast paced environment because stuff changes all the time. Indeed. All the time. What has been one of the most recent changes that you've had to maneuver as leaders and what'd you learn from it? Oh, there's several. Um, yeah. There's several things we can cite. Um, I, I would say... Um, Reference the bibliography of notes. Yeah. You know? <laughs> uh, well, I would say a more recent one uh, would be you know, shifting our healthcare business. And I think this one is pivotal to catapult like pr pr future. It was transitioning the, the focus of our healthcare company entirely from locums and physician staffing um, to travel nursing and allied. Mm -hmm. um, that we essentially were at a point where this business that we have been holding on to for a long time, one of the first things I proposed when I got here was like, why are we keeping this? And Patrick, want, Patrick and Matt wanted to keep this business going. There was a ton of opportunity. But in 2019, early 2019, really, we were like, no more locums. 
brought in uh, you know great leader Jody Turner physician staffing I'm gonna try not to use jargon um, but we completely transformed the business and you know the big reason why it was difficult everyone had to learn the business we all had to learn um, travel nursing and then this you know three years into doing it we were hit by COVID which happened right when we were in the middle of hitting we're about to hit our stride with that company Um, and then the next year so 2021 most of the growth at Catapult came from Catapult Healthcare. Catapult Healthcare went from 130,000 in revenue to 1.3 million a month, a month. Yeah. from January a to month? December. Yeah. That was monthly revenue in January versus yeah. monthly revenue in December. Um, and we maintained that efficiency and production level for the most part. It's yeah. almost and, I, and I would say that, that you know, two, two people that stayed with us through the entire process of that and all the obstacles is Jody and Shannon. Mm-hmm. They have stuck with us and are the brains behind the operations. They've done an amazing job. And just the challenges we had, I mean, physician staffing takes a long time to put a doctor to work. We'll travel nurse. You can put them to work within a week or two and credential them the right way. So it's been a great transition. We've done a great job. And then now we're doing allied. Basically allied is everything outside of a doctor or a nurse is everything else in a hospital, surgery center, any kind of medical facility. So those two have been uh, uh, instrumental in uh, where we are today for sure. So going back to people, like people, you know, people in leadership positions at Catapult are the reason why uh, we're able to make these changes. They're the reason we've been able to stay at the top of the list and win the awards that we're winning. Shannon and Jody are the example of the two in healthcare, but I mean, you can list, uh, there's a a huge list of names of people who are critical to every transformation at Catapult. Yeah, what I'm saying, was you, your question was obstacles, right? Is that what it was? Uh, Basically, just what has been one of the most recent changes you've had to implement at the company and a learning lesson that you took away from it? I, I'll tell you something that uh, from the beginning until now is talk about ego. So the yes. ego of brick and mortar. Mm-hmm. Okay, we want to have 15 offices across the country. And that's not really necessarily uh, true anymore to grow and be sustainable. You don't need to have offices. You can do things remote now today sure. and have your core offices and have delivery centers and that's kind of you know the direction that we've gone. So it's not really an obstacle, but it, it, was, it was hard to wrap my mind around it because you wanna be in the cities where you're servicing, but you don't always have to be there. We have remote people in Phoenix and LA and Houston and Cincinnati and Nashville and New York and Florida, but we've got our core offices in Boston, Virginia, which is our federal practice, and Dallas, and we both have our top secret clearance, which is kind of cool, right? Um, And we're cleared as a company too, um, to do do, uh, business with the government, so. Top secret clearance. Yeah. Yeah, and I think we can talk about that. Sure. We'll need to check. We need to confirm that. The, the red reticles start to. Yeah, right. I'll, I'll get. I think we can say that in this format. I'm pretty sure we can. Sure we but can. yeah, we'll no. Basically, it. we're secret agents. Just kidding. Oh, okay. it's like wow. Well, but well, we now, might be. <laughs> so careful. Now the SWAT team's definitely yeah. busting in. I. It's kind of cool. My daughter's like, Dad, you have a top secret clearance. It is I'm cool. Like, yeah. Not, yeah. Everybody does. Cool. No. That's so fantastic. Well, we don't get that. We, you know, unfortunately, and Patrick and I have talked about this before, but you know, I was really expecting to, to hit to be brought into that community and just be welcomed with UFO files and all of this information that I've always been curious about and it never happened. So, never happened. Geopolitical machinations, all the good stuff, yeah. Yeah. 
maybe next, uh, maybe next visit next to the secret yeah. base. That's yeah, the, right? That's the second half of the podcast. Exactly, we'll start exactly. Talking about UFOs. That's for uh, subscribers only for a small fee. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, Find us on Patreon. <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. Love it. Um, so <laughs> as we move into the end of the podcast, I want to start to look ahead a little bit for CSG. Um, so I'll hone in on the IT side of things since that has become such a critical component of y'all's growth and scale moving forward. Sort of considering the place that we're in with, um, uh, you know, I, sort of a, a complete rethinking about um, cybersecurity standards, for example, um, the growing breadth of what IT even means to include OT as well, the growth of IoT devices, sort of re reshaping the dynamics of IT work and skills. How are you maneuvering that challenge? Maybe you all see it as an opportunity and not even a challenge at all, but how are you maneuvering that moving forward and sort of continuing to evolve this practice that has become so essential? I had a conference essential? call about IoT today, this morning. Mm. I'll let you take it from here, yeah. but that's so funny you brought that up, so. Yeah, no, no, you're right. No, you're right. Um, there, there are a couple of parts to that. One is how um, those dynamics uh, are affecting Catapult internally. Yep. The other is how we're aligning our capabilities and, um, and investment to those things. So from an internal perspective, we have to, due to the nature of our business, um, have a very secure environment. So we have done a lot of work, uh, and Roma Kalika uh, has done the majority of this herself, um, done a lot of work to enhance and improve the security posture of Catapult. Yeah. So that we can, one, not only serve federal clients, but also um, hospital systems um, so that we can protect people's information and because like, the risk of the the, the risk of being of, of attack is so much higher because as technology you know RPA as it's become more efficient to do uh, you know legal perform legal work and services with technology it's also a lot easier to penetrate someone's environment and steal information steal money right <laughs> or so whatever it might be which we have history of that we've got a history of that um, on the other side um, and and this is where Richard Negron we talk about you know recent changes and what we've done to kind of enhance our competitive posture yeah. as well Richard Negron bringing him in uh, as the CIO and the leader of catapult technology services uh, all of the things you just mentioned are at the top of our priority list as it relates to developing capabilities. So we want to, and I don't want to give too much information, one of, right. <laughs> we just recently, our real first kind of, one of our first big projects at CTS was specific to cybersecurity. Um, and, and we built something um, that we ideally can, can package, redeploy for other clients. And so this is where, where companies like Catapult start to hit stride um, is developing capabilities that don't cannibalize the existing capabilities of the organization. What got us to the dance is staffing. We'll always be a staffing company. Uh, what we can do is leverage the delivery engine that we built that's hyper-efficient, uh, leverage the talent relationships that we have for the Richard Negrons, Patrick's relationships, my, everyone's relationships, and then add to our scope of services. Right, I think that's ideal. I mean, Amazon started as a books online bookstore, right? Amazon provides almost every good that I consume in my home now, right? To the extent that I need a dedicated recycle service just for Amazon boxes. Yeah, right. Thank you, Hannah. The drone uh, dropping it off. Exactly. So, um, I mean, yeah, we're, we're, we want to be on the bleeding edge of 
um, of, of these kind of emerging trends yeah. to the extent that we can um, perform at a high level for our clients, but not cannibalize what got us what here. We, what got us yes. here. Yeah. Yeah. And I like that mentality too because it is aware of the fact that, especially in this era of mass digital transformation across all industries, if you hone in on finding great solutions, and you know, I'll hone in back on IT, right? But if you find great solutions to continue to grow your approach to IT staffing, often the insights that you're going to gain from there will apply to the other industries that you're helping staff for as a consequence of, oh, well, you know, IT's changes are bleeding into X industry, Y industry, Z industry too. And that's impacting how those professionals have to interact with their platforms, with their daily operations. And so I, I like that your head is already in that place of how can we take one vertical's learning lessons, apply them across all of them, and create this holistic yeah. scaling vision. What are you yeah. doing tomorrow? You want to have coffee tomorrow? Let's do yeah, it, dude. I don't, if you don't work out <laughs> a market scale, scale we, we, we'd yeah. love to chat with you. <laughs> so, the, so the business, you know, in the U.S. and the staffing industry, staffing, yeah. you say the Fortune 100 companies that we work with, uh, Fortune 100 companies, and you know, you get requirements and you place people, but having Catapult Technology Services and the addition of Richard Negron has been amazing to have because you're dealing with CIOs and CTOs around the staffing traditional models of MSPs, yep. where everything's going through a software, through a system, where we get become more sticky with the client where they continue to need us just with a small project and another project. So that's exciting. And then being over in Europe for a month and piggybacking off all the clients we have here in the US, having over 100 clients, they do business international. So being able to go and staff them overseas and then our business partners, most of their business is in Europe and to be able to piggyback off that as well. And then just having a delivery center that I chatted with you this morning about through Richard's relationship from Puerto Rico is um, having recruiters and delivery in Puerto Rico um, and delivering and helping us staff in the US. So there's some exciting things that we're doing, but we don't want to give too much away on, on some of those. Cards things. have to be held close yeah, to a the little chest bit. to some degree. Yeah, yeah. but, but it, none of this would, I mean, uh, Richard and, and Chris Lester, and they've been instrumental in, in the executive team and, and everything we're doing. So it's been really cool. I mean, it sounds like y'all have really, you know, done your homework and invested in the right people to support the growth of the business. Uh, at every step, it seems like you've understood where to bring in the right leadership vision uh, and the right skill set to fill in gaps that y'all can't provide yourselves, right? But the um, gaps moving forward, to me, <clears throat> is always gonna be hiring. Yeah. Hiring the right people for this industry uh, is crucial. It creates the culture. People wanna be in a fun culture. I think Dallas has got 50 people in the office at Park and Preston. and. Mm. It's cool to, you know, we've won a ton of awards, best places to work, you know, middle market 50, fastest growing. So it's, it, you're proud of it, but there's, there's uh, it, it comes down to people. Definitely. Yeah. Well, it's a validation too that you're doing something right. You know what I mean? If the workplace is naturally getting to the point where it's fun and you're scaling to degrees that you couldn't even have imagined six years ago, right? That means you're doing something right. So Absolutely. it's exciting. Um, you've mentioned this several times now, Alex, but you mentioned disruption, 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 right? Yeah. That's the future of the business. So without revealing too much, what excites you about the future of CSG? And when you say disruption, what do you have in mind? 
He's excited uh, for Cancun in March <laughs> right, yeah. because exactly. he's been working out a lot, and you know we, we have a contest. Chief fitness officer. We have we have a con. <laughs> yes, we have a contest going on for March, yeah. so it's exciting. So Patrick is one of those naturally lean guys, right? Right. I don't Great have the luxury of that. I have. Um, uh, I'm the like natural eat way too much guy. So for me, um, I have to work harder at it. So we're gonna go down here and we're gonna see who has a uh, lower body fat percentage in that. My brother's involved with this too, Chris. But, um, yeah. but this is these, these little kind of little tangential competitions that we have that keep things fresh. It's really funny, my brother like Chris, he's yeah. 54. Yep. And he's got two young boys, eight and six years old, and he's hysterical. So he wanted to create the contest for, and then I think he's gonna be a part of it. And he texts me over the weekend, he's like, dude, He's like, I'm starting this contest. I'm at a pizza party with my eight-year-old, and they've got you know all this food here. It's kind of funny, actually. So <laughs> I'm like, I don't have that. Um, it's all about diet, my man. Exactly. Hey, but you got to take inspiration yes. from where it comes, right? Yeah. Daniel, you're exactly right, man. But that'll be fun. Um, but a no disruption. Yeah, a little that bit. is a disruption, uh, a positive one, I would say. Uh, yeah, no. So when I talk about disruption. Um, you know, I could cite the name of, of plenty of companies, and this is something that, and Patrick's heard me talk about this for years now, le leadership meetings, board meetings, been bringing this up, because, you know, one of the things I'm, all, I'm always trying to look out for is like, what's on the horizon? Yeah. One, as it relates to our capabilities as they exist today, how are we distinct or differentiated? Um, and, and what could come in, any, t any entrepreneur, if you're starting a business, you should work through like a, like a uh, kind of a flow chart of things. One of them is competitive landscape and potential disruptions for, for technology. You asked earlier how technology is affecting our business or how we are leveraging technology to enhance our services. Um, a significant threat, um, but also opportunity for the staffing industry uh, is platforms that are effectively eliminating the um, layer between employers and the talent. Okay. And so you look at companies like ShiftKey, um, ShiftSmart, uh, there are some real players um, that, that have material market share uh, in this space. And all of these platforms are specific to shift labor right now, things that you know, don't require you know, the, the primary value proposition of a staffing firm, which is we understand your business and we'll find the perfect candidate for you. Um, those roles and labor categories don't necessarily need that. Um, so those are going to be the first, it's like any new, new technology. The low-hanging fruit um, for this one specifically is shift order labor. And so for us, we've basically moved away from that completely. Um, but what we want to do um, long-term is see how can we how can we integrate some of the benefits of these platforms into what we do. So looking at automation, not automation to the extent that our recruiters are no longer doing their job, um, to the extent that salespeople are no longer on the phone with clients, uh, the glorified account managers. That's this, is, this is where we, like, this is, this is where, the, but, but, you know, our opportunity is to ensure that our salespeople, one, empower them, yeah. right, make it as efficient as possible for them to do their job. And what is the, the most value-add service, if you will, or task of people in those roles? It's nurturing relationships with clients, creating new relationships with clients. For a recruiter, it's nurturing, creating and nurturing relationships with candidates and being that consultant to them. Um, and, but what still happens is a lot of administrative work, right? So at the end of the day, if you have to take the time to generate a report for a thing that a, someone in leadership is going to see, as opposed to it, you know, some, some platform or service taking data that's already in your environment and then producing that automatically. 
a recruiter that's spending 30% of their day sourcing as opposed to being on the phone with candidates? Right. To what extent can we automate 30%, that 30% so that they can spend the majority of their time on the phone with candidates doing the thing that's going to make them money and grow the business? Building relationships. Yes. Exactly. Right. So He's always in my ear about all of that stuff, the automation, which I get you want to be more efficient. Recruiters can come in and have a list of things to call, but I'm on the other side of the coin where you can never lose the mindset of work ethic. Mm. Where people coming in out of college thinking that everything's going to be there for them and you lose that work ethic and what got you got us where we are today so that's he and I go back and forth with that I believe in automation no question about it but I also believe that you know it takes a mindset to uh, to, to get where well, we're going. Well the metaphor so, I mean, to this Patrick is like knowing how to navigate without the maps app on your phone right, right? so there's tremendous value in that right so, you know, the, the, you can make the argument all day, you know, if, if you just give somebody warm leads and the entirety of their job is calling on warm leads and closing those, right? right that's, if they apply the same amount of work ethic or they're hyper-competitive, they in theory could make more money than someone who has to also do that and close the leads. Right. But there's tremendous value in doing a little bit. I've been through four recessions. <laughs> I don't know about you all in the room here, but I've been through four and the mindset of when I started the company with my brother and Ryan, um, we didn't have anything, nothing. We had friends and family, and here we are today, and you're, we have a board meeting every, every we have uh, tons of openings right now, and we're into a recession. I know people are trying to rewrite what a recession is, but we're in a recession, yep. P- things are tightening a bit, you read articles, and I want people to understand what it feels like, because I've been through it, where you have all these openings like, hey, what do I want to work on today? And you get up there and you got 50 people in an office and you look up and you have three openings. It's scary, yeah, real scary. And I've been there two or three different times. So you can use all the automation you want, but you have to go out and get new, new customers and new clients that are continuing to hire, right? I mean, it's, it's yeah. just, you got to remember that. And it sounds like the unifying of the two worlds y'all are coming from is the tried and true phrase, you know, work smarter, not harder, exactly. right? But an essential part of that too is making sure that the time that gets saved by automating a process, right, and disrupting the industry in that way gets equally translated over into let's maintain that work ethic, but just apply that energy elsewhere, right? Work so, smarter and harder. Exactly, exactly. Right. So, so in, instead of crushing that report, hey, take that crush, but crush that relationship you're gonna build with another two clients instead. Right. Don't just be like, wow, cool, I can relax 30% more necessarily. Right. Yeah, get laser day. focus and get hungry right. on exactly. that laser focus. Exactly, and so then maybe the last question I have then for you is, how have y'all tried to maintain that culture of, you know, let's stay hungry, right? Let's seek that, that growth and that sort of um, that innate energy of just wanting to drive the business forward and, and grinding to make that possible, but also acknowledging that like there are some luxuries that come with a business scaling and becoming more capital rich and being able to enjoy some of the benefits of, yeah, we're a bigger company and we can ah, take a deep breath every once in a while, right? What has, what has been y'all appro- y'all's approach excuse me, to maintaining that, um, that balance? Yeah, the balance again, because I was thinking of something. <laughs> no, you're good. Yeah. You're good. Uh, the the balance basically between y'all are a mature company, but you still have that startup hunger and and growth drive, 
while also being able to relish in some of the luxuries of that's being a, great, that's a, great question. a big company. You it know? is a great question. Um, uh, fear. Mm. I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Putting really, really fear into people. Yeah, right. No, I think there is. Fear of God. I think there is good fear. Actually, I really do. I think there's good fear. Um, I think. I think um, we we go to Cancun. There's companies our size that don't do. I say Cancun because that's where we go. Sure. Company trips. We do things like uh, gym memberships. Uh, pay for the difference in premium healthcare. I mean, to do things that are that help people in the in the, in the company and, and look for things. But I, I, communication. Company calls. We have leadership calls every month. We have quarterly calls. I think we do a lot of things like that to remind people on where we are and what we have to do and individual conversations. I mean, I was talking about it. It's what I did all morning is where we are as a company and what we have to do. I think it's extremely important through communication um, with, with, with everybody. Uh, yeah. And to that point, to add, to describe, I guess, in more detail how we do that, um, it's very visible. Top performers in our organization are highly visible. Um, and I think this is, this is consistent in, in every, you know, um, sales-oriented business, which is every business, but, uh, you know, uh, staffing business in particular. Like, there is a leader list where everybody's name is listed and their performance. We were just talking about creating another one this morning that is indicative to activity, not just the end result. But the, the gross Not just the number, number, but what makes you get the, the number. Yeah. yeah, the input. Yeah. And we, you know, despite, regardless of our size, as we continue to grow, we continue and continue to put emphasis, more and more emphasis on performance. Um, and that will never change. And so I think it's important, and we t uh, alongside the leadership calls we're having, the, the company calls, we're ta constantly talking about the numbers. I, I hear people, and, and this has changed tremendously over the last five years, but six years, I hear people in the office talking about, hey, if I get one more person in or one more start with this client, then if this guy starts or you know, he accepts the offer, I'm going to be able to buy this suit or I'm going to be able to go put a down payment on a house. right? Not exactly, but th sure. that's the type of conversation I hear um, being held in the office. And so five, six years ago, that never happened. Yeah, uh, and, just, and just the fact of people wanting to be number one. Yeah. Regardless of material things, of just their innate of like, hey, I'm a competitor and I don't like being where I am. I want to be at the top. If I get two more starts, I'm going to be in the top three because right. we send it out every Friday afternoon and they beg for it. If we forget to attach it, they, we get emails right away like, hey, did you guys forgot to attach the reports because they are dying to see it. Right. Yeah. Um, and, and where they rank. Yeah. Which is cool. And the right, we're, we're, you know, we're bringing in the right people. I mean, and you, you could draw a comparison and we talk about this all the time. Look at Alabama football. They're a giant reputable, established football program in, the, in Division One. Um, you know, they've created a culture over time there. And most great businesses and teams do this. They've created a culture over time where if, you know, the, the coach doesn't necessarily have to be the one that's telling the player, hey, you're not doing well. You're not performing. The teammates are doing that. Where a great team, you'll see that. They're holding, people hold each other accountable because they collectively hate to lose which I think is far more important than wanting to win. Like if you have a true hatred for losing, it's gonna take you a long way and, and that exists at Catapult. And so you know, everything that we, we do talk, yeah, we is just, try, we're just trying to reinforce that. And I hate losing that, more than winning, period. Yeah, and ensure that like continues, yeah. right? As we continue to grow, as everything else changes in the business, if everything else does, that needs to be a constant. For sure. It's that, it's that balance of driving home sort of a, a, a sense of healthy competition, almost a healthy competition with yourself, right? Can I beat my own numbers? 
but also that the competition isn't necessarily to let me get one in on Bob, exactly. who sits next to me. It's actually, no, let's work collaboratively towards a shared end vision. And I think that is an essential um, part of the top-down leadership, setting that vision, reminding people of that culture, uh, and living and breathing it yourselves. And I feel like I can confidently say, after speaking with you all now for almost an hour and a half, that that is what I get from you all, that you live and breathe that every day, you bring that, to your casual conversations and your professional phone calls and your tough emails and your congratulatory champagne pops, you know, and that's that's what it's all about. Yeah, well so. said. I couldn't say anything better than that. I like that, Dan. Love it. Yeah. Well, then I think with that, we'll go ahead and wrap it up, right? Yeah. And on a high note, um, folks, thank you so much for joining us in studio and uh, you know, letting me pick your brain on your leadership vision, the growth of the company. It's really been a pleasure. Folks, we've been chatting today again with Patrick Burke, Chief Executive Officer, and Alex Anderson, Chief Financial Officer at Catapult. Uh, Patrick, Alex, if folks want to get in touch with both of y'all, uh, they want to pick your brain some themselves, right? Learn from your leadership. Um, or maybe they're interested in linking up with CSG. How can they do so, right? Where should we point them? Um, I would point them directly to our website, catapultsg.com. Um, thank you to the Uptown Agency and Olivia Burke for uh, recently renovating that. My daughter. Uh, our new marketing campaign. But catapultsg.com is a great way to reach out to us, and, uh, and you can find our information there as well. And you can call me at 214-336. 4499. Again, 214-336-4499. Mm. Or Burke at catapultsg.com. And my email is the same naming convention as that. Um, what was the Mike Jones cell phone number? Do you guys remember that song? Mike Jones. No, help us. Mike, I forget. He had some song where he announced his cell phone number. Anyways, I bought that cell phone number. So just pull up Mike Jones, find his number one single, and call that number. Is that, that the, the, the foot massage dancing guy? You guys don't remember Mike Jones? I don't remember. We'll that. say that for another conversation. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> and Dan, you, you were awesome. I appreciate it. And anybody, Market Scale has been an amazing partner to Catapult Solutions Group. They really have. So we appreciate you. That's why we're stealing Daniel. Yeah. So sorry, guys. It's official now, apparently. Daniel's well, heading over to Amsterdam <laughs> to sell international uh, for us. Oh, look at the eyes, huh? I think decision's been made. Is it, is, <laughs> yeah. sorry, sorry, is it Ben? Sorry, Ben. Yeah, sorry, Ben. Uh, well, <laughs> on that apology, Ben, don't fire me. Also, thank you so much for joining us on another episode of Higher Education, a Catapult podcast. If you like what you heard and saw today, make sure that you're heading to the Catapult website, catapultsg.com, and make sure that you're subscribing to Higher Education on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. I'm your host, Daniel Litwin, the voice of B to be and we'll catch you on the next episode of Higher Education.